Hello, and welcome to the M&A Stories podcast. I'm Robert Heaton, and each week I will be joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcast episodes, our intention is for Toby and I to draw on case studies and our own experiences to bring you, the listener, valuable insights into the good, the bad, and the ugly of M&A integration. We hope you enjoy these episodes and we hope that it will bring you valuable insights on how you can improve your M&A projects in the future. Thanks for listening. Let's get this underway. Hi Toby, are you ready for our weekly chat? I sure am Robert. Okay, we were going to talk about a UK company that uh, was buying a global computer analytics business where you work for the seller. And I recall on this one, the, the, the key lessons that you, you were saying that the seller should think like the buyer, preparing the business for sale isn't just about getting the legal and finance factors sorted. And that it's important that the seller doesn't let the buyer control the process. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Well, it, it does, actually. And it's, it's funny you say um, you started off by saying that I worked for the uh, seller. Funnily enough, I actually worked for the buyer. I had a UK company and I was engaged by them really to help them acquire this uh, business. But it was an unusual situation. And Robert, I don't know if you've been this, but I was actually finding myself doing work for the seller in order to help the buyer. And so that's the situation. And I, I sometimes think it's funny, you, you sometimes have to find yourself sort of working on both sides just to get a deal across the line. So you're there to facilitate something and, you know, you find yourself sitting on both sides. And I don't know if you've had yourself in that situation. but uh, Most definitely. And, and what you've just outlined sounds interesting. So do you want to give us the outline of this particular yeah, deal? I will. And look, this is an interesting story. And there's a bit of a moral behind all this. So we'll get to the end on that one. So... I was actually engaged by a UK listed engineering business, quite a conservative business, but a big organization. And they had an opportunity and it was kind of interesting because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity for this UK firm because they were not in the digital business. In other words, they didn't have any digital solutions as part of their product portfolio. It was very much to do with hardware engineering to the hardware solutions, but no digital solutions. And here was an opportunity for them to do what I might call digital catch up, get themselves into the digital age, buy a digital business, which gives them a, a whole new gamut of capabilities. And of course, the ability to cross sell digital solutions to the existing customer base and grow it like never before. It really was a transformational once in a lifetime opportunity. So well, that was that. Now, that sounds like a solid strategy, though. As you know, I'm a strong advocate of any deal that's driving cross-sell and upsell opportunity. Yes. But um, you've titled this Don't Scupper the Deal. I mean, might one detect a slight hint that there were some challenges afoot? This, this isn't another one of our favourite deal fever scenarios, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an element of deal fever. I think you'll find deal fever in all deals one way or another. But the, the challenge in this one was quite interesting. And I'll just set the, I'll set the picture up. Here we have a stable UK listed uh, business listed on the stock exchange. It wanted to acquire a company, which was a business unit belonging to a much, much larger firm. And um, the parent firm at the time was getting rid of this business unit for a reason. 
it was actually going through some financial difficulties. It had taken on debt over the years. Sales weren't as good as they were. And it was having financial difficulties. And part of the reason for that, and you know, quite honestly, for a lot of divestment reasons, it, it's driven by the need to get cash. Um, and this was no exception. So they wanted to sell this business and sell it quickly. Now, the issue here, and this is where the real challenge is, is and it's a funny one because I think it comes down to sort of poor advice that I actually got in the first place. What they went ahead and did is that they carved the business out in a financial sense. In other words, they did actually have a separate financial entity. They carved it out in a taxation sense. In other words, it was a separate tax entity. They carved it out in a legal sense. It was a separate legal entity. Fine. The problem was, is that it still wasn't a carved out business because it wasn't carved out operationally. The people were shared, the technology was shared, the operations were shared, and above all, the IP was shared. And the buyer, well, they wanted to have a business that they could take over and control. I'm sitting here laughing, Tony, because this sounds so familiar. Um, uh, 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 Toby I seem to recall we've talked about similar issues where focus was limited to just legal and financial focus Uh, I'm I'm begging to hear the rest pray continue (laughs) so um, the the buyer said look Toby we want to acquire this business it's going to be fantastic for us it is a, a transformational opportunity and we believe we're going to be able to grow revenue like we've never could before. So it's great. But look, the seller does, hasn't really carved out the business in a way that for our board, for us, we feel comfortable taking over. We see a lot of risk here. And I want you to help them carve it out separately, carve it out more as much as you can so that we can go ahead and transact. And so I said, fine. I had a chat with the chief operating officer. And I said, look, we need to go ahead and do some more work here and there. And they came back and said, well, hang on a second. We have carved the business out. They said, I don't understand. What, what, what do you mean this, the carve-out? We've done this, we've done that, and done this. And from their perspective, they thought they'd done everything they needed to do because of the advice that they received. But I don't think it was good advice because they really hadn't created what I would call a future-ready business. It wasn't something you could literally pick up on day one, the one say it closed and run. You couldn't do it. And so they hadn't thought through what it means to have a business that is ready to hand over to a new owner. Right. And and I seem to remember you were saying in this one that the, the clock was ticking in terms of the patience of the buyer. Just just the clarity, what sort of time frame are we talking about here with this? Well, the time frame, like all time frames, it, it's it's aggressive because it has to be. It was approximately about three to four months. That was what they were willing to tolerate. Um, the buyer had a number of other acquisitions it had in its pipeline. It saw that this was an opportunity, but they didn't want to linger too much trying to acquire because the more that the seller struggles, the less attractive a business can be. And this is important, I think, and here's one of the big lessons. For any sale process, it does need to be quick because quick speed means confidence. Confidence means you've got control of the sale agenda. Control of the sale agenda means that this is going to be a smooth, low-risk type transaction. People don't want risk. 
and this had risk written all over it because it wasn't carved out. The parent was going through financial difficulties. The buyer didn't want a large transitional service associated with this because they didn't know the state of the parent and to what extent they're still um, liquid and um, whether they perhaps might go into administration post deal. These were the genuine risks that we were facing here. So if this deal was going to go ahead, it needed to be a completely carved out virtually standalone business to get it done literally within say three months so that the transaction can go ahead. And anything less would just simply mean a lot of pain for the board and the shareholders of the bar. Yeah, yeah, interesting, thanks. And, and I'm just going back to your point about the fact that you got pushback from the fact that they'd done legal and financial separation and, yeah. and thought that was uh, sufficient. That was enough. I mean, yeah, and they thought they could do the rest as a sort of like a transitional service. But transitional services is a more of a necessary evil. It's not the first resort, it's the last resort. Uh, but at the same time, I'm amazed at how some companies just don't get that. Yeah. You know, the, the analogy I often use is that it, it's like walking into a car showroom to buy a new car. Yeah. Uh, and the sales guy says, well, yes, the, the price is $26,000 and here's the contract signed here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you've got no opportunity to actually look the car over or even take a test drive. Yeah. You, you'd never do that. And yeah. yet it, it happens quite frequently when people think about preparing their business for sale. It is, it um, is. Now, I'm assuming you went ahead and helped them prepare all the uh, the non-financial stuff. Yes, indeed. And obviously, there's the people side to make sure that the people are sort of fully separated, operating under separate employment contracts, so that they're not also sort of physically sitting somewhere separate, so at least they're not part of the whole other operation. But probably more important, because this was a technology business, making sure that the actual IP was discreet. In other words, yep. the IP was sacrosanct, it had been totally separated out so that the buyer had comfort that when they acquired the business and all its assets, it also had a complete understanding of everything that constituted the IP. In other words, this is like software IP, the code, all the inventions the, um, associated with that, the physical location of the technology, making sure that that was separated out physically so that they knew that that couldn't be some way ripped out or suddenly disappeared, you know, <laughs> a couple of days after the transaction closed. It, it, it's absolutely critical in technology deals, particularly because a lot of that stuff is intangible. You know, yeah. it, it, software, you can't touch it as such. It's not a physical thing, yeah, yeah. but it but it's actually the heart of most technology businesses. It, yeah. That's their IP. Yes. So, yes. okay, yeah, no, please, please go on. So. Uh, in terms of the carve-out itself, there, there was all, in the, it was such an intense time to carve out the business in, in an operational sense. So it really was as discreet as you could get. There was a transitional services. You can't get away from it, but it was minimal. It was literally like a couple of months worth of transitional services afterwards. But everything else, the idea was to separate everything out before the deal closed. And look, under my leadership, look, a lot happened, a lot. Having said that, the buyer, um, there was a certain amount of unrest in the board in particular, largely precipitated by the fact that the, the seller had one of its creditors, one of, the call, one of its loans and one of the immediate payment. And so they uh -huh. suddenly saw a situation where perhaps the seller was potentially on the verge of collapse. And yeah. they knew that this was a risky deal, but that was almost the final straw. And they said, look, 
I don't think this, this deal is a secure one. I think there's a lot of risk. It was a risky deal anyway, because it had a transformational aspect to it. You know, in other words, there's a lot need to be done to the business once it was acquired. It wouldn't be totally standalone. It was going to be one of those businesses where you need to do a lot of transformation and integration work into the uh, bar's operations. So it spelt risk and they thought, look, I think this is too risky. I think we should um, stop. And uh, indeed, they decided not to uh, go ahead with the uh, transaction. And the seller, of course, was taken aback because that was the only offer at the time. Uh, there were no other companies and they came back and wanted to um, offer a substantial discount. And I do mean substantial, like a 30% drop in uh, sale price, but even yeah. that wasn't enough. And uh, the uh, buyer basically said, that's it and uh, not go ahead. Yeah. Look at by, by that stage, normally it's all over and, you know, offering post agreement sort of discounts like that is, is um, it's close to sort of panic. Yeah. Overall, that sounds like a painful lesson for the seller. Um, Very painful indeed, because it was an absolute critical sale. And in, that, in the long term, actually, they went under the shell of their former selves. I mean, it, it, it's a painful lesson for the seller, but it's also disappointing for the buyer as well. Because as I was listening to you, I was convinced that the added prep work that you did, albeit late was the piece that was going to result in a success for both parties, but clearly not in this case. No, no, not in this particular okay. case. And then that's just basically the nature of the things we're dealing with. There, there are often external factors going on, which dictate um, where this deal's going. Um, so now I, now I can see why, you know, we've said that the title of this is Don't Scupper the Deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, could you close this off by, by summarising the lessons that you think should be? Uh, yeah, there, there's some big ones. And this is an important one for any, any kind of divestment. Number one, always think like the buyer. I appreciate that you uh, organisation will have an internal view as to what needs to be happened, but you've really got to take an outside in mindset. In other words, yeah. do the work to make sure that you've got a business that a buyer can take over. Understand their needs and wants. What are their risks? What they like to see in a business that they can take over? Are they going to be a strategic buyer? Are they a private equity buyer? There are different needs and wants associated with them, but think like a buyer and you do the work driven by what the likely buyer needs are. That's one. Secondly, always carve out a business to make it as future ready as possible for the owner. So do whatever necessary work to make sure that you've got something you can transact. And when I say carve out, I mean carve out obviously legal, obviously financially, obviously in a tax sense, but lastly, also in an operational sense. So do as much as you can. And the next point, if you're selling a business, is always making sure that you are communicating the value of what it is you're, you've got. In other words, make sure you've got a clear and credible set of stories that communicate and educate when you're selling a business. And I don't think on this particular occasion, the seller did a very good job at all and didn't clearly communicate the value in a deep sense. Because if that was done, possibly this deal might've been saved. And the final thing is for a seller, always keep control of the sale agenda. Don't let the buyer drive it. Uh -huh. Now, here is a case situation where the buyer was driving the sale agenda because they had me and I was actually working on the seller side to help the seller get ready. Yeah. So clearly the buyer was driving the agenda. Always keep control of the sale agenda. Uh, and uh, as you can see, when we've talked about in this, some of that 
was resulting in lost time because of the seller's insistence that getting the legal and financial factors sorted was all they needed to do. So that That's actually right. delayed the, the, the process. And as you say, the buyer then took control of the... Yes, and, and uh, once you do that, then the buyer's also got the upper hand, can negotiate the terms of the deal and, yeah. and, and work it in their favour. And that's indeed what the buyer did. And they, they went ahead and basically determined exactly contractually how this should work, worked out all the agreements and all that sort of thing, not the seller, <laughs> the buyer was doing it. But the interesting yep. is, of course, they were making sure that everything was, you know, skewed in their terms. But even in that circumstance, that's what I find fascinating, the deal was still go through. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's just re it's just reminded me of a, a piece of advice I always used to give salespeople, and it applies in this scenario as well. Yeah. And that is that whenever you're in a transaction, uh, a, a sale process, what you've got to try and do is turn yourself 180 degrees so that you can see things through the person sitting on the opposite side. Yeah. And once you understand what their needs and thoughts are, then you, you're actually managing the sales process a lot better because you're, yeah. you're working towards their expectations. Exactly. You're solving their problems. It's not, yeah. you're, you know, you're not offering a solution. You're basically looking, understanding their problems. And the more you focus on that, then the solutions come naturally out. But, you know, it's problem focused. Yeah, look, Toby, uh, as usual, that's a great story. It's got some great lessons in there. I, I think we can say that's a wrap. Okay. Do you want to do the honours and closes off this week? Yeah, certainly, Robert. Look, it's always enjoyable reliving experiences. And I'm hopeful our listeners will take note and perhaps my advice will stop future deals being scuppered unnecessarily. Great stories as always. Thank you so much. I think that's a wrap. Do you want to do the honours and closes off this week? Yeah, certainly, Robert. Look, um, it's always interesting, these sort of experiences. And I'm hoping that when people hear this, they can hear and understand some of the, the real issues that you get to face in deals. And I'm hoping that someone in the future doesn't find the deal that they had getting scuppered unnecessarily for the same reasons that I've just um, explained in this podcast. So we'll sign off for now and be back next week with another episode from me and Rob. So bye for now. Bye.